0: Thank you for tuning in to Radicards.com. And this podcast, we have uh, Mr. Ryan Daly joining us again. Uh, If you haven't heard before, if you're new, Ryan Daly is a recovering Nomar Garcia bar collector (laughs) and presently collects uh, vintage Nolan Ryan. Anyway, uh, so Ryan will be joining us uh, to talk about some points around the hobby and around the sport of baseball today. So, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's always fun. It is fun. It is fun. Oh, before we start, though, I just want to ask, you know, I invite my listeners to share how they feel about these podcasts. Do you like them? Do you not like them? You're sort of indifferent. Would love to know how you feel. Post a comment below or wherever you're reading this, if it's on the blog or on YouTube. Anyway, uh, post comment, and we'll just get right into it here. Uh, jump right into it, Ryan, with, with Juan Soto. What, what's, what's going on?
1: All right, so Juan Soto Arguably one of the biggest stories in baseball this week. He was called up by the Washington Nationals. um, Widely regarded as like the number two prospect in baseball behind Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's still in the minors, unfortunately. Um, He came up his first home run, I think, the day after he got called up. Um, So he's already raking. He's 19 years old. Hits left-handed. Very similar to... A similar left-handed batter who came up with the Washington Nationals um, named Bryce Harper. So both young guys, and I think the Nationals have him batting in front of Harper. So it's kind of cool to see 19-year-old Juan Soto get up to hit, and then Bryce Harper uh, get up to hit. And Harper was just in Soto's shoes, you know, five, six years ago. And um, we all remember the tons of hype around Harper and the hobby. I mean, he's probably one of the most hype prospects hobby-wise of all time. Um, so Soto, I, I'm really not familiar with how his cards have been performing um, before or after his call-up. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of hype now on the market. And, I mean, do you remember when Bryce Harper was called up? Remember what the hobby was like back then?
0: Well, I remember in 2010, uh, Harper was in the 2010 Bowman Chrome set. But mm-hmm. he had stuff that was, you know, you could pull out of some 09 Upper Deck products and, you know, a variety of different Upper Deck products that year. And mm-hmm. I remember he, he followed right behind the Strasburg hype. When Strasburg, you know, had the Tommy John, that, that was people, you know, they, they, they stopped collecting Strasburg in, in, a, in a large way and they started collecting Bryce Harper. And then the following year, it just kind of built on itself. They made like front cover or Beckett Magazine and um it just kind of carried on from there but and he's really you know made a name for himself and and has done really well for himself and really carved out a nice you know personal brand like just as known as like as this this you know he's turning into this all-star player uh but going back to kind of what you said about Juan Soto you know uh hitting in front of Bryce Harper then that would mean that that you know the Nationals understand that Bryce Harper can uh, is a power hitter and can get around the bases. So if we load the bases ahead of time, we have a chance for more runs. So I think putting Juan Soto in front of Harper is actually a good idea. It's a good decision from a strategic uh, standpoint. But yes, uh, the the hype around Harper was has been significant. And, you know, he's kind of like a fan favorite now. Like, he's a hobby favorite now. Like, like I don't know anybody who collects that's not excited about pulling a, a Bryce
1: Harper card. Absolutely. And, I mean, it, we, it, it's such a small sample size right now. We've got three or four games of playing time for Juan Soto. But, you know, he's hitting 500. he He's got a home run under his belt. And um, if he's already hitting number two in the lineup in front of Bryce Harper, he's obviously doing something right. And I really don't remember over the past couple of years hearing his name on you know the, the guys that like to prospect. Sometimes I'll read their blogs and this is a name that maybe I overlooked, but I, I really just don't remember hearing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the next guy we're going to talk about, Gleyber Torres, obviously I've been hearing about him for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Vlad Guerrero Jr. I've been hearing about him for a couple of years. Huge card prices for those two guys. And Juan Soto, I'm just sort of like... This guy came out of nowhere. Yeah, he's like the number 2 prospect already doing really well. Um so yeah, I mean, he's he's fun to watch,
0: for sure. So, you might remember in 2016, I think it was, the the Trevor Story hype. Oh, absolutely. So, here's a guy who who had a block of great performances and the hobby just went crazy for his stuff. Crazy. In the following year, nobody cares. <laughs> Kind of sucks, but that's like that's like the the nature of sports, right? Like that's the nature of collecting. We're gonna be excited about guys that do well, uh, but we're really fickle in a lot of ways. You know, we're not gonna be there to support them when they're not doing well. I mean, that's 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 hard to. It must be difficult when you're an athlete to understand how the market reacts to. Um, you know, they love you when you're doing well. They don't like you when you're not doing well. You know, they're, they're okay calling you names when you're having an off
1: day. You know, yeah, it's, it's It's tough, it's and I think we feel the same way about the prospect cards. And, um, you know, Trevor Story was a guy that had an amazing probably couple months of baseball, and I think he broke his wrist or he broke his arm, and he's never been the same since. Yeah. And people spent thousands of dollars on Trevor Story rookies. Um. I think you and I are more of the mindset, okay, this guy's in the hall of fame. Now I'm going to buy his rookie card or this guy's got a proven track record. Now I'm going to buy his rookie card. You know, the the prospecting stuff is such a gamble. Um, it's, it's really hard to say who's going to be hot and who's not. Well,
0: okay. So these are all good points to talk about, right? That, that, that the human form, the human body is, is organic. And as such, it, you know, degenerates over time. And so, you're going to have plays where, you know, you might get hurt and you need to go on like a DL for a while and then you come back and you might get hurt again, but you have to kind of expect that players because they're organic, they're going to get hurt from time to time just happens. But the hope is that they can come back and continue performing at some competitive level that makes them, uh, you know, a lot, you know, helps their team produce results throughout the year. Um, and then you realize, like, yeah, like Hall of Fame players got hurt all the time. I mean, like Mickey Mantle's knees were always a problem, but he's one of the greatest hitters of all time. Um, you know, you've got guys who's, you know, their pitchers and their 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 elbows blow out or whatever else, but they come back and then they're still great pitchers. Uh, right. So it it's it's almost a lot about the the health management piece is so important. You know, like making sure you listen to your body and take time out when you're hurt, mm-hmm. um, and not try to stress or over push yourself. But if you're like me, then what you, if you collect like I do, I collect in a very weird, almost atypical way. I wait until you know, um, either like you were saying, until they're in the Hall of Fame or I wait until their career flopped so much they left baseball. <laughs> and then I buy the card at a, you know, a lower price because it's a good talking point for me and then I'll remember when they were prospects. You know, right. Like, man, do you remember when Ryan Leaf was like the guy to get? Yeah. You know, but Nobody cares about them now. You know, it's like, why would you buy that? Well, it's like, well, it's, it technically turns into a commodity at that point. Like, I can't get my money back. I know that. You know, it's like going out to eat. You buy, you eat, and then it's over. You can't invest that money. It's gone. You know, it's you, you just, you, you threw it out, but for a good cause because you were hungry. So with cards that won't turn any profit whatsoever, you know, I, I accept that. And I realize it's okay to buy Stuff you just like, just buy what you like. Don't worry about trying to return it around and try to make a profit. Just buy what you like. If the
1: guy didn't pan out, who cares? If you like it, you get it. That's a good rule to follow. And I know a lot of guys liked the next player on our list, Gleber Torres. Yeah. He's had huge hobby hype around him for several years now. Um, and he's finally sort of made his debut this year. Um, he's got about a month of playing time under his belt and really good numbers, small sample size, just sort of like Juan Soto. Um, but he's playing in a really tough environment. New York's probably like one of the toughest sports environments you can play in as a young player. Um, and he's thriving, playing second base, uh, teaming up with Didi Gregorius, who's playing shortstop. So it's a really solid middle infield for the Yankees and these guys uh, are young and they are under team control for a while and it's just fun to see the young you know kind of homegrown type talent play for the Yankees because we're so used to seeing the Yankees go out and buy the free agents and um, they're kind of letting the young guys run the show this year and it's really fun to watch.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, that's, this is a good point, right? Like, develop in-house talent. You talk about this stuff in business all the time. Is like, where do you find talent? We have it right here. You know, we, yeah, we, you got to we, develop we, it. We we develop it in-house. That way, it's it's a cost savings for us, both in time and money. We don't have to go and look for it. And we don't have to pay for it because we know that talent's not cheap, right? So if we have guys in-house that, like, let's say, you know, someone's, our receptionist is a blogger. All right, great. Well, our company needs a website built in some CMS, our receptionist knows let's put him on board or on the team or let's have him manage a team and develop those skills so that he can contribute to the, the overall goal of the company. And then maybe he's, you know, exceptionally proficient in the craft and we can promote him into some other executive position. And, that's, you know, and so I feel like there's so much talent within, if you just look at who you already have, you know, look at your network, look what you have already, the access to the resources you already have. And I think that's a more efficient way to operate as a both a team and as a business. Because teams are runs, they're all businesses. So um uh, I think it's smart of the Yankees to to operate in this way. It's very non-George Steinbrenner, but I think it's, you know, that era is, you know, we're we're past it now. We're ready for, you know, some more innovations and process efficiencies and cost savings and things like that. And plus it's fair to these young guys to, to develop them, to give them a chance to really kind of grow in and build that, you know, that um, internal stakeholder relationship management piece. These guys can now grow with the team instead of being, you know, uh, uh, play with a team
1: for a while and then being sold to the Yankees later at some high cost. Right. Um, And there's a, A classic story that I'm always reminded of when I see young Yankees players is that uh, George Steinbrenner, the longtime uh, Yankees owner, Mm -hmm. he wanted to trade in the 90s. He wanted to trade the likes of Derek Jeter, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, um, and I think Mariano Rivera, because they all sort of came up through the minors at the same time. Mm And he was in such a win now mentality that he wanted to trade away all of that young talent and get back the current hot stars. And luckily enough people in the organization told him, no, don't do that. And so he didn't do it. But can you imagine the Yankees if they didn't have those four guys? I mean, those four guys were basically world series winners for three years in a row. And they built teams around those guys. And so I think we're kind of starting to see another core group of young guys in New York being built. Um, and if the Yankees aren't successful this year in the playoffs, I think next year and the year after that, we're going to start to see maybe a potential for another dynasty that's going to grow. Because there's a lot of really amazing young talent.
0: I mean, every decision is is you know puts you on a path to some sort of historical moment, right? Right. And so if if Steinbrenner had um proceeded with trading away i mean some of the greatest players of all time yeah. um you know the Yankees in the 90s had you know one of the if not the greatest closer of all time Mariano Rivera and they had Yankees captain legend and certainly hall of famer Derek Jeter on the same team i mean like this is very dynastic and so yeah. If you move those cornerstones and you try to replace them, you know it's, it's an exceedingly rare situation to assume that the replacements will be of the same caliber as guys like that. And so right. it's almost like a risk you can easily avoid just by accepting that you already have in-house what you're looking for.
1: Yeah, and just to sort of draw a parallel to what you are kind of alluding to earlier, that Yankees currently have one of the best closers in the game in a as Chapman, and they've got one of the most amazing shortstops in the game in Didi Gregorius. So it's kind of a cool parallel to look at between Jeter and Rivera in the 90s and early 2000s. And here they are again with this amazing shortstop and this amazing closer. And that's not even to mention Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, like all these other studs they have on the team. Yeah. So, it's 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 a fun team to watch. I've always been kind of a Yankees hater because that's what you do if you're not a Yankees fan, (laughs) because they're just they've just been so successful. But if they're on TV and I've got nothing else going on, like that's I would love to watch the Yankees because they're they're fun to watch. So I actually
0: do not hate the Yankees at all. You know, I I like them (laughs) just as much as I like. All the other teams, I'm, I'm indifferent.
1: It's, it's a big deal to be a star in the Yankees. Um, I remember having a conversation with a buddy of mine a couple years ago. We were talking about the most prestigious positions in American sports. And we sort of basically came down to either being the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys or being the shortstop for the New York Yankees. Like there's nothing more prestigious than those two positions, in our, in our opinions. And that, that's very debatable. But I think most people would agree that if you were to make a list, those two positions would be like top five or top ten.
0: So that's an interesting conversation because, you know, does that does that mean most critical positions or not,
1: not from I mean, I guess most critical is. It depends on on what what year we're talking and, and what shape the team is in, because both of those teams have had down years in their history, but right. Just from a a status and sort of celebrity standpoint,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um, I think shortstop for the Yankees and quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, those are just like the the epitome of the sports world. Regardless of how those two teams are succeeding in a given year, Mm -hmm. those positions are like the most heavily scrutinized and focused on.
0: I always thought that the pitchers and catchers were like of mission critical importance in games. Sure. Um, and I That's always why thought, I said
1: it, it's it's definitely up up for debate, but yeah, no, um, seriously,
0: I think that these are, I mean, all the positions are, you know, significant, right? Yeah, uh, but I always think that the most stress is put on the pitchers and the catchers, catchers knees, pitchers elbows, and so I think that 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 the, and those two guys have to perform at such an executive level on every instance. I mean, they all do, but I just see that the pitcher. The, if, it, if the pitcher prevents hits, then the game's over, right? If the catcher can't throw guys out, the game's over. So I feel like there's a lot of stress put on those two guys. And then, of course, if, if the ball gets hit, then everybody else, the stress gets divvied out to the shortstop, you know, first, second, third base, baseman, the outfielders, everybody else. Um, but I always look at the pitchers and the catchers as being, like, so significant
1: Good stuff. Speaking good stuff. of rock stars. Yeah. Speaking of rock stars, <laughs> one of my favorite rock stars,
0: Rafael Palmero. Oh, man. What a guy. This guy, he's 53, <laughs> right? 53. He hits a home run with the Claiborne Railroaders, which is an American Association independent team from Texas. Now, he's still trying to break in to make a comeback with him at the major league level. And this is his first home run since July 30th, 2005, which was his last home run as a pro. Now, Rafael Palmero is interesting because he's one of a small list of guys that are 3,000 hit slash 500 home run guys. And so, you know, yeah, he has a little bit of, like, uh, bad reputation from uh, lying under oath about the use of steroids. Um, but the fact that he's in his 50s and trying to make a comeback is, I don't care who you are, that's amazing. Like, that's... It's incredible, actually, that you can still do perform at that level at that age. I, I just think it's awesome. And if he came back, you know, I, I don't know how old Satchel Paige was when he retired without looking at this data right now. Uh, but, you know, who's the oldest ball player that play at the professional level? Can you think of it? I, think, I, I can't think with, of it outside of Satchel Paige. I feel like he's the guy.
1: Without Googling it, I think the oldest player was Jamie Moyer. I think he was forty nine. Oh yeah,
0: Jamie Moyer.
1: That wasn't that long ago. Right. I think it was Jamie Moyer. I think he was forty nine. And if it's not Jamie Moyer, um it's somebody else in that age range, like late forties, maybe early fifties. I mean fifty three is really pushing it. I mean I know that fifty three isn't that far from forty nine mm-hmm. but in terms of sports I think it's way further. <laughs> and I think Rafael Palmero, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with this guy, but you know Tim Tebow's is playing in the minors, so I guess anything can happen at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, let's not bash on Tim Tebow. The guy no, no, is still in that,
0: sports. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like if if somebody has the perseverance, I guess they can they can do what they want. But and he's Palmero's obviously got a lot of great raw talent and um I haven't seen him in person, so I don't really know what he looks like, what shape he's in. He's um, good enough shape to hit dingers, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you can hit a home run off of a, a real pitcher, that's that's a, a great accomplishment. Like, not a lot of people can do that. Um,
0: I was going to say, Jamie Moyer actually did retire when he was 49, and he holds the league record for the number of home runs allowed. <laughs> He played for twenty five years, man. You're gonna like rack up the home runs. Twenty five 25 years, five twenty two, five hundred twenty two home runs is, is how many he allowed uh-huh. as a as a pitcher in his entire his entire career.
1: Poor Jamie.
0: Regardless of what you think, you love him or hate him, I think it's pretty impressive that he's hitting home runs in any capacity, and he's still trying to make an effort to come back and play at the professional level. I think it's amazing. And honestly, seriously, I think that that would be a very lucrative PR stunt by any team who puts him on. But that's just me looking at this from a business
1: standpoint. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, if if you're a team that's way out of playoff contention and it's August and you're seeing your attendance numbers dip, I mean, talk to Palmero's agent. Like, what's the cheapest <laughs> I can get for him, you know? Oh, man. Um, I, I, I assume the number will be pretty low, but... Um, I really don't know what, what Palmeiro is thinking. And I think he's already made his money. Um, but it's interesting because a lot of the guys that have pitched into, or the, sorry, a lot of the guys that have played hmm. into their forties have been pitchers. And I think it's a different sort of conditioning for your body when you're playing once a week, as opposed to playing every day, even if Palmero is a, a designated hitter and he's not really playing the field, he would still have to be playing every day. Um, in some sense.
0: Do you remember so that would
1: be, be a, a really trying thing on his body at the age of 53.
0: Right. Do you remember a movie called Mr. 3000, you know, oh, Ber- of course, Bernie Mac, you know, he, he comes Rest in they, peace,
1: Bernie Mac. Yeah. He's, he's great,
0: but he, you know, he, he, he he's, he's retired and they're looking at hall of fame numbers and they're like looking at, you know, his, his numbers and they realize he's three, three hits short of 3000. they They're like someone made an error along the way. So he has to come back up and try to make up those those numbers. I think it was I think it was three that he needed. Or whatever the case. Yeah, I think you're right. Whatever the case. He had to come back and hit a few more uh, to, to, to get the three thousands. But a lot of people thought it was like a joke. You know, they were like, dude, this is a joke. But then the management piece was really smart. They're like, Yeah, but it's gonna put people in the seats, which means ticket sales. And yeah. merch sales and food sales and money. And so they're looking at it from a strictly PR standpoint. So like, just put up with them and just realize this is good for attendance, which is good for our, our, our wallets, our banks. Um, now, it's the hope that the Raphael Palmero thing wouldn't be seen the same way. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if it was because it's not completely dissimilar from that scenario in that movie, Mr. 3000. Great movie, by the way, if you haven't watched it. Um, I liked it. I thought it was awesome. But uh, that aside, I think if I were a team and, you know, and I needed like, like I'm seeing problems with the attendance numbers, like, dude, if I'm the Orioles owner, I'd be like, let's get Raphael Palmeiro back on the Orioles. Let's do this, you know, put him on, see, see how well he can perform. You know, people are going to want to see Rafi hit again. I mean, 2005 yeah. wasn't that long ago, you know? And so, I don't know. I think about this as, like, from a marketing piece. If, if I needed some quick talent, I wouldn't put him on, like, a five-year contract. It would just be, like, a seasonal thing. Um, and I would see what he can do for us. You know, I just it might be fun. It might be a fun experiment. So, good stuff. Moving on. Um, some stuff about the card market. Uh, Ryan, you might... I don't know if you watched this auction or not, but uh, on May 16th, 2018, a PSA 10 example of the t- 1993 SP Derek Jeter rookie card Closed with 148 bids at $99,100. It's just incredible. Insane. Incredible. You know, upon further review, and I'm going to say this, but I want to mention that this is common and it's not the fault of the auction houses or the sellers. It just happens with very high-end pieces, I've noticed pretty commonly. It's called auction shilling. And that's when... Uh, the people that are consigning, the person that is consigning the item, might set up a dummy account and bid on the item to drive up price, so that whoever is really wanting it can overbid, and that person who's listing it, that owns the card, the consignee, it makes more money. This happens a lot, unfortunately, uh, with with uh, auctions run by reputable houses. And it's discouraged, and the houses discourage it. And I just want to make it a point that it's, it's, to my understanding, never the fault of the houses themselves. This is just kind of a byproduct of really high-end listings. And it's my also my understanding that most houses try to prevent this sort of thing from happening. Uh, but unfortunately, some of it still gets through, and it happens. So uh, that, that, that being said, regardless of what happened with this Jeter, I still think the end price is mind-blowing boggling like $99,100 for quite possibly the most condition sensitive set to be produced in the 90s that houses uh, one of the most important rookie cards
1: of the era. Do you know what the pop report is on this bad boy?
0: Oh geez let me let me pull it
1: up. You're so right about the condition I mean those those early 90s SP cards are just insanely rough to to keep in good shape.
0: Yeah, it's bad, man. You got foil that goes all the way to the edges. I mean, it's Yeah, it's, it's brutal. Tough. It's just super brutal. And and if you're a registry collector and you're looking to like build a say, oh man, PSA 10 registry set of 93 SP baseball, like, good luck with that. <laughs> you're going to need this card for your run. And if you've got a goal that's that ambitious, it's also the assumption that that goal can be coupled with a very significant income because it's going to require hefty price tags on some of these guys and then you have got some of the commons that nobody grades and so whenever you see them at high grade they, they they do really well okay the pop report for tens for PSA 22 of them have been graded tens out of a total of 13,686 of them okay so that's a very 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 tiny tiny little needle in a haystack fraction most of them end up being most Ugh. of them, most of them being eights, uh, <laughs> and I'm I'd be fine with an eight. If I got an eight, I'd be like I'm good, one and done. <laughs> uh, you know, let's talk. Absolutely. About this. Back in like 2014, I'd say like early fall, like September ish. I was living in in LA and I was working in Beverly Hills, and I remember on my lunch break I was I was in the market for a 93 SP Jeter. I was like a BGS eight five PSA eight right in there. And there were just over, gosh, if I can remember correctly, like just over a hundred and fifty maybe right in there at the time. And I should have bought one because they've really come up. Granted, you can get PSA eight now. Some sellers can you know, close them at less than three hundred. So I mean, it's a loss for me now because I had an opportunity to get them at much, you know, more affordable price tag. But they're available. Uh, currently, there are well over eight thousand eights out there. I'm never going to be in a situation where I absolutely have to have a 10. <laughs> like right. I just can, I just can find a lot of better uses of my money. Good stuff, man. I, I think that's a good point to talk about. It's a significant sale. A very significant Huge sale. sale. Huge, huge sale. Huge <laughs> sale. <laughs> huge. Uh, huge. It's so big. And, and so um, uh, moving on, uh, you know, this is, I don't know. Did you, did you, did you hear about this next point, Ryan at all?
1: I hadn't heard about it until you brought it up. So I'm curious to see what you have to say about it.
0: Sure. Sure. Uh, the folks at memory lane auctions, they acquired and listed the original Polaroid. Okay. Get this. The original Polaroid picture used for the 1989 upper deck Ken Griffey junior rookie card. I mean, just incredible piece of Americana. Um, one of the most iconic pieces of baseball memorabilia ever made, I would say. Um, it sells for thirteen thousand eight hundred and eighty-seven dollars and sixty cents. Can I just, you know, take the, <laughs> the giant like mouthful and just say it sold for fourteen thousand dollars? Okay, here's here's interesting. Check this out. The question here becomes: Is that was that a good deal?
1: You know, it's there's all sorts of different facets of this hobby, and I know that original photographs are. Um, a big deal to a lot of people. Mm. They're not necessarily a big deal to me, and especially an original photograph from 1989. If you were talking about an original proof from like the 50s or 60s, then you would spark my interest. Um, 1989 is just not that long ago to me, and the original Polaroid, I, I mean, I know it's very special and it's rare, and I'm sure a Griffey collector is... Absolutely in love with it right now, but I don't think it's worth that price point. What do you think? Oh, I this is
0: where we're going to disagree. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Here's the thing when I think of the most iconic rookie cards, I think the King Griffey Jr. 89 upper deck is hands down, without a doubt, the most iconic baseball card of my generation. Okay. I mean that's this is significant, huge. I mean it's card number one in Upper Deck's inaugural e- release, and he has since become one of the greatest hitters of all time as in the Hall of Fame. And it's still till this day, people buy those boxes to hope to pull the Griffey card. Like yes, 89, they do. Yes, 89 they do. Upper Deck packs still sell because of this card. Still. Yep. And so, I honestly yeah. think that that this card, this this picture at 14K right now is a good price because it was a good decision. I won't say good price because it sold for what it's valued at right now, presently. It's sold for $13,887.60. It's worth $13,887.60. In the future, as time passes, you know, our kids grow up, they have kids, they grow up, they have kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I believe that this particular picture is going to continue to appreciate with time because it's such an iconic piece of American history, baseball history, sports collecting history, hobby history, everything. It's such a big piece of the American heritage, the fabric of American history. And I I honestly feel like, had I known and had I had extra cash, I probably would have wanted to buy this myself. Oh, Um, interesting. It's such a big piece, because the 89 Upper Deck is such an iconic card, and having the original picture, that by the way, if you don't know this already, the, the the Polaroid shows the original logo uh that he for the team he played for before he actually made the majors. I just think that that's so cool. I mean that is, yeah. that is really really cool stuff. And I knew about that fact before, but I'd never seen the original photograph. So seeing this is like, oh, so that's what it was. And I really like that. I mean, it's a young shot of Griffey and he's got I mean, it's just a classic. Everything about this card is very classic to me. I really like it
1: a lot one thing I I find kind of funny is uh, like I think of Polaroid as a very consumer grade form of photography. And it's obviously not really around anymore. Um, I think maybe a few hipsters might still take Polaroids, but (laughs) um, I think it's, it's just funny that upper deck, I know they were kind of a ragtag company back then, but um, to have it on a Polaroid is like, you think it would be a more professional, photographic piece?
0: Yeah, geez, man, why pull out your iPhone
1: and take a photo back then? I mean, I, what the heck? No, no, <laughs> I know, I, I know. Like 1989, things were completely different. But um, you know, I'm sure tops had their 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 act together in a photography sense, and it's, I don't know. But if you Just, look at the
0: final product, the pictures, the
1: quality is exceptional. Oh yeah, clear. no, it's it's great, and it's um it's obviously very iconic. But um, it's not for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just say <saying>. it. <laughs> like it's a great photo. I'd just rather spend my money on something else, you know what
1: I'm saying? Fourteen <laughs> K um is a really crazy amount of money to spend on a, a lot of things, specifically <laughs> a picture. But what about twenty five K? Would you drop that on a guy that's only played two months in the MLB? Speaking of big purchases, now
0: if I'm spending fourteen thousand dollars on a picture I probably wouldn't have any problem spending $35,000 on a baseball card. Uh, recently, there have been two big sales of uh, Shohei Itani Bowman Chrome Red Refractor Autographs. They're number to five. Now, yeah, first time, we, the, the one surfaced. It closed at like 55000 but the seller had a problem closing the deal with the buyers. I guess there were a lot of illegitimate bids. So we ended up listing with Propstein. Propstein sold the uh, the card sold with Propstein for 30000 and then another one was listed at Red Refractor around the same time, and the second one sold for just over $35,000, okay? Now, just keep those numbers in mind. $35,000 is what you can expect to get on the open market right now for 2018 Bowman Chrome Red Refractor Autos, number to five, Shohai Otani rookie cards, okay? Huge. Blowout Cards has a bounty out for $100,000 for the Super Fractor, which apparently has not yet been pulled after all these weeks of seeing endless numbers of Shoei Otani cards being listed on eBay. They have now extended the um, bounty opportunities to include two more cards at $25,000 each. And here are the two cards. Blue Refractor Auto Kenji Autograph. That means he signed his name in Japanese. And which, to my own knowledge, only one has been found. It's really incredible stuff. And the Red Refractor Auto number to five. So just to be clear here, if I pull the Red Refractor Auto to five, one of the other three examples, I can A... Put it on the open market and expect to get thirty thirty k plus up to thirty five thousand because that's the those are the two sales we've seen so far, or I can option it off, give it to blowout cards for twenty five thousand dollars, like that. I'm not a mathematician, but I would say that the answer is pretty (laughs) darn clear as to which one's going to yield the higher returns. I almost feel like if I were blowout, I'd be like, I'll give you forty k, because. I'd want you to give it to me instead of listing yourself, and you'd make five thousand more dollars over the highest price to expect for that card on the open market
1: absolutely. I mean, if I were really trying to buy that card, I would be more aggressive than blow out cards is being right now, especially considering we are at like at the peak of Otani Craze. Mm-hmm. we might be peaking more. I mean, it, he just continues to perform. so I really don't know when the actual peak is. but, It seems like a peak right now to me, at least from a hobby standpoint, just because we have these releases coming out that sort of coincide with his success Mm -hmm. in the majors. Um, I, I would agree. I think if I were trying to buy that card from the lucky person that actually pulls it, I would be much more aggressive with my price.
0: Yeah. I mean, these are, I mean, the 25K might work for the Kanji signature because we don't have a recorded sale yet of that card, at least not to my knowledge. Right. And that might make sense, but I mean, Kanji might. We don't know if there's more than one of them.
1: Yeah, that was my question. My next question is: Has, has Bowman, or sorry, has Tops released anything like that? Like, have they said that he signed a certain amount in Japanese and a certain amount in in English? To my knowledge, no. But I haven't
0: read every page of you know published work on google you haven't (laughs) on on this card so i don't know know, i I don't know what i don't even know how to benchmark a price point for valuation for that card because if it's a one of one but it's not stated it's just like i'm gonna sign all of these except for one i'm gonna sign one of them in japanese and that's it then the kanji auto signature that that card the blue auto would be maybe... Huge. It'd be up there with the Super Fractor, man. Yeah, that would be huge. <laughs> you know? And in that case, worth way more than $25,000. And so, um again, if I were running the bounties, I would be I would be way more aggressive with, with what I'm willing to pay out for these cards. Um, knowing that the Red Refractor sold for 35, above, above 35K, I would be offering more than 35K for them. Uh, but, you know, as a business, I get, you got to have turn of profit. I, I totally understand that and I respect it. Uh, but this is public knowledge. You know, sale records are public knowledge on eBay. So I just would try to make it a point to like, you know, reputable firm like block cards. I'd, I'd be wanting to like, I don't know, um, give collectors and people who pull these cards a significant incentive to uh, come to me to transact. And the only way for me to do that is to offer, I think, more than what they're going for online. And it sounds weird from a business perspective because it's not really how you make money. You always buy less and then turn it around. So,
1: but Ryan, thoughts? No, I agree. I mean, from a business perspective, offering up a lot without really knowing what the future holds for this player,
0: mm.
1: it's probably not wise. But at the same time, he's sort of a once-in-a-lifetime player. And he's got two months of baseball under his belt and he's sort of proven himself at this point to most people, whether you're in the hobby or, you know, sports journalists. Like, I think most people are, have bought into Shohei Otani. Mm-hmm. So if it were me and I were lucky enough to pull the super or whatever it may be, I think I would sit on it because 35K might seem like a joke in like two years
0: or three years. I mean, I, I wish that we could tell what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. Right? Like I just, absolutely. I really would, I think I'd be making a lot more money.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, if you I the, knew what was going to happen in the market. Right.
0: Right now is a very good time for the hobby. Everybody's buying, you know, blowouts has these bounties going on. It's
1: great for marketing, great for
0: sales, great for business.
1: I mean, you, we, I think we both know each other's buying habits and we both know that we don't really buy a lot of wax in general. Right. But I think You've heard from me in the past couple months, I've been creeping around my local targets, <laughs> looking for the Bowman, looking for the Topps Heritage, because um, I sort of have the Otani bug, and like it's, it's kind of a crazy phenom right now, and I haven't really felt this way in the hobby since the Harper-Strasburg trout era, right. which um, doesn't seem that long ago, but it is kind of a long time ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, those are good days, man. I, I bought two packs of hangers. Uh, of oh, nice. 2018 Bowman and I haven't opened them yet. <laughs> Ooh, so you? So are you saying
1: I could no have record, the Superfractor. You have the Superfractor <laughs> in hand?
0: How rad would it be is it? I open them on film <laughs> and I pull the Superfractor <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to sit on it. <laughs> <laughs> I probably would too, by the way. I'd sit in to get great and be done with it. I'd be like, I'm just going to keep it. <laughs> Oh, it came back a nine anyway. Sorry. Oh crap. Because you know we have the, that parameter that you had, it has to be a nine five by a certain date. You know those parameters still exist. So um, I'd almost be like, uh, "Hey, BGS, can you grade this down to a 9? Just <laughs> <laughs> the first
1: time in history they've been asked to right, right
0: down. to degrade. Let's <laughs> <laughs> staple a twenty. <laughs>
1: Otani is setting records in more ways than you could even imagine. No, right, right. Seriously, right? That way. <laughs> anyway, I
0: just that concludes. I, I just that kind of covers our, our podcast for today. I think it was fun to talk about some of these points. It's cool to see these guys that are coming up that are new, being developed in-house. It's awesome to see old fellas come back and try to return. Rafael Palmero. I love seeing big sales in the markets. Great to see a Jeter sell for almost a hundred grand. Awesome to see original Polaroid of that 89 upper deck Griffey sale. It's so cool. And I think that the, the bounties that blow out our offering are as very smart marketing. I think it's cool. I like it. Um, so Ryan Daly, thank you for joining us today on this podcast. I really appreciate it, bud for, for hanging out with us and chatting.
1: Thanks, man. It's always fun. And just one last thing before I leave you, uh, the angels came from behind to beat Toronto tonight. Um all thanks to one Shohei Otani. So (laughs) I love it. Just gonna leave you with that. Right, right. (laughs) I just want to remind everybody to uh um share
0: how you feel about these podcasts by leaving us a comment below, either on the blog or on YouTube. I love comments on the blog. Uh let, let us know how you feel. Do you do you love these podcasts? Do you not love them? Do you are you indifferent? Um I, I like them myself, and I think Ryan, at least he, he, he makes a pretty good case. I think he pretends. He makes me feel like he loves them, and I think that's cool. Thanks for pretending, Ryan.
1: <laughs> You're welcome, man. <laughs> I'll
0: continue to pretend. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to RowdyCards.com and the Radicards podcast. And until next time, enjoy collecting. If you like this content, please subscribe. Thank you. Enjoy collecting.